It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casazza, back on a Monday with a bloated mailbag and a skinny Chris Anderson. Helping me through just getting back on track. Um, weird. Again, not, not an open week necessarily in the true sense because you don't have that whole weekend away like kids can't go home but it's a long time between games just one game and and a long period of time for a team that played what five times in 28 days and then here's the weird part Chris like I think everybody wanted more Mountaineer football when things went to a break which has not been the case in the past couple of years probably not a bad day to flip that coin huh yeah no I I think we had the same situation last year with how the quote-unquote open week my week whatever not even really an open week and at that point last year, everybody was like, I need a break from this. They're going to sit there and argue on the message board over how soon until Neil Brown gets fired. And now it's more of a, hey, that I like this winning thing. Let's keep this going. I, I don't want to take a break. Let's play again. Let's play again. Um, it's an interesting week. And we, what happened to the days of like two bye weeks? Didn't it used to be two bye weeks? Was that a twelve game season? Maybe was it? I, I can't remember. like. I just remember. I thought I remembered like a two two bye week season or something like that. Like maybe one. It was a year where, uh, yeah. like the first game was really like the last week of August, like really in August, like August twenty fifth, mm-hmm. and then a bye week. I might be imagining that. I don't know, but this isn't. Was, Neil Brown's right. Like this isn't even open week. It's not a bye week. Whatever you want to call it. And it's kind of rough on the kids. They don't even actually get to go home. They don't actually get time off and kind of brutal. I was looking through um, looking through records the other day trying to figure something out. And there was a huge gap in one day in the schedule. I can't remember maybe what year it was. Was it 18? Uh, yeah, I was trying to figure out, wait a minute. They didn't play on September 15th. And then they had that weird open week later on. So how did they get two bye weeks? And I forgot that that was the NC State hurricane game that they just decided not to play. Um, you mean when NC State tried to derail the Will Greer Heisman campaign? Single-handed. That's how I remember it being framed on the message board. Well, quite a conspiracy there, too. And then there were, like, some hard feelings because they were like, yeah, we're not going to NC State in the future. Like, <laughs> like we're going to fulfill our obligation. Like, NC State had any, any sort of say in the matter about whether or not they could hold a game in a hurricane like West Virginia felt slighted and they were not going to be put out by this. So um, uh, good times, simpler times. Complications here, Chris, um, not on, not in the top 25, not really any closer, but who cares when you're second place in the big 12 and you have a game against the first place team coming up. And then again, if you looked at the top of the standings here, very few opponents are on West Virginia's schedule, um, which was a great benefit to them in the preseason. And certainly now, but it begins Thursday night, 7 p.m. FS1 on the road against Houston. And try to remember the head coach's name there. Uh, what's his name? I don't know. It'll come to me during the podcast. We can talk a lot about this game in an abbreviated amount of time because it's Thursday for the game. It's Monday right now. Everything is bumped up like two full days in our preparation here. So we're going to consolidate everything into our normal schedule routine. But we should probably make the most of our time here. Jump right into questions about the Mountaineers. 
right before the question let me uh give an answer on the two the two by way thing that, that stopped i think with the conference championship game because i'm looking at 2016 the 10 win skylar howard year mm. and they got two bye weeks but they were in the first five weeks so they were off their game again okay, missouri youngstown state bye week byu kansas state bye week yeah um was how that season started so it, it was a thing. I didn't imagine it, but yeah, with I guess with the conference because like the final regular season game was December third, which is now, you know, conference championship game weekend. So that the two bye week days are long gone now. I think is what's what I'm getting to. Got to get started now. Yeah, let's go. Let's go with the first question in the thread, right off the top. Let's talk firing people, Mike. From CMM0016, how would you rank the hottest coaching seats in the league? You know, it's funny, Chris, is I think when we got to look at the schedule and we saw September for West Virginia, we were like, oh, boy, if you're going to make a change, you might do it before you go to Houston because you have extra time. And maybe Houston might do it before West Virginia comes to town because you have extra time. Neither happened. However, probably just one of those two coaches is on a burner right now and it's probably going to be the Houston coach because it's not gone swimmingly for them there but that might be the number one hot seat I think you could probably rank only other two coaches seriously behind him and then in some order there I think it's probably this order it's probably Dave Aranda at Baylor and Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State Mike Gundy kind of kind of pulled himself off the burner a little bit Baylor a great comeback against UCF that kind of cooled things off a little bit because I think that was the point you're looking at that game they're getting just destroyed by UCF and you think what are they gonna do about Dave Aranda and may still have to worry about that even though it's just one win so those are probably your your top three and a top three right now that does not include Neil Brown I agree so did you did you go Holgerson Aranda Gundy yeah, and I would put a big gap between Aranda and Gundy because Gundy is just so hard to fire for, for multiple reasons, including the compensation he's due. I do wonder if at some point, like, his kid isn't there anymore playing quarterback and somebody offers him a boatload of money, he might just say, it's time for a change. Trouble is, he's just so so identified with that program as a player, as a coach, that I can't see him walking away from there or that being something that he wants to do or anybody around there wants him to do, but... I think everybody just rather he gets a lot better, which he has been before. He just isn't right now. You know what's funny? I agree one with the the one two three, and the second part of this is Dave Aranda and Dana Holgerson are a year and a half removed from both going twelve and two. Significant. I'm looking at it right now, like I'm, I'm, unless I'm looking at something incorrect, both of them went twelve and two in the year twenty twenty one. Do you worry about one more than the other? This, uh, the Holgerson thing, I like, I mean, I, they're obviously not thrilled with him down there. I mean, they went four and eight, three and five, because that was the uh, COVID shortened season. And then, you know, great 12 and two, and then eight and five, which seemed to upset a lot of people still at eight and five. Um, and then off to a rough start so far this year, but feel like he's really good friends with a lot of important people down there and like the performance on the field. I don't think people are thrilled about even at 29, 23, you know, six games above 500, but that's not going to really cut it when originally you were in the, uh, the AAC 
for you joining the Big 12. If you're 29 and 23 in the Big 12 as Houston, maybe that's okay. But 29 and 23, when most of that came in the AAC, probably not cutting it for a lot of people. But I think he's tight with a lot of boosters. And Dave Aranda, man, like things look bad down there. Like they, they are lucky to be two and four um, with that comeback win over uh, UCF, right? And like, I don't know. And like, the, the more this goes on with him, the more you have to like, wait, was 2021 just a fluke? And the rest of it is more what you should be accustomed to with Dave Aranda's head coach? I'm not sure. I I might put Aranda ahead of Holgerson on the chopping block scale. Okay, fair. Just in our last two home games, Chris, they scored six and 14 points against Texas and Texas Tech. So big games in, in, in the state of Texas. And to really be not that competitive in either one of them. And again, look, dead on the doorstep for most of the game against UCF until just a couple of fluke things happen. All of a sudden they're back in the game, then back in front. That worries me a little bit. And more importantly, he's changed all the decorations flipped over his offensive staff, flipped over his defensive staff. And um, the, the offensive thing worked for a little bit. His defensive coordinator is doing pretty good work now in the sec and it's not working out very well for him. Um, they've just given up a lot of points in, in the last three games and, their schedule gets a little bit easier coming up, so maybe maybe that that's one to watch. I think because they turned it around quickly and won before when they brought him in. They turned it around quickly when they brought people in before. There's a lot of talent there. If you get the right person in, you know you can you can make that work. But right now they go at Cincinnati, home against red hot Iowa State, home against Houston. Those three games they can get right. Moving on to the next question, I think right before we started recording this, we said maybe we'll save this for the written portion, but I have received a message that answers the questions. Breaking. So News. breaking. Literally, literally reading it off the text message that I received three minutes ago as we were talking. Um it's a great question from SJJ SWVU4. It's probably a week late, but what is standard operating procedure for situations like Lathan's and Burks with them being hurt and staying in Dallas? Um, does a WVU staffer stay with them? Do they fly their parents in? When they fly home, is it private or commercial? Who pays the bill, school or conference, et cetera? Um, I received this message from a capital P person who says, there's a designated member of the training staff that packs extra clothes for away games for that exact reason. So he stayed down there with both of them. If they would have been at different hospitals, speaking of Lathan's and Berg, Lathan and Berg's, then two staffers would have stayed. But since they were both at the same hospital, it was just one staffer. Um, both sets of parents were flown to Morgantown the next day after uh, Lathan and Burks got back home. Um, and no real answer on the uh, flight home. Believe it to be private. And who is paying it? The person just says that's, you know, between insurance and the school, but can guarantee 100% it was not Big 12. Oh, a little salt. <laughs> Um, that's the, the insurance is usually built out to the school. I believe, um, yeah. the school takes that out of some fund is what I remember. That's how surgeries have gone before. It's like when a basketball player blows out an ACL, what happens there? Um, players having like students have insurance for things like that. So, uh, scholarships, all that stuff covers that up. But that's interesting that, that the parents are flown to, to Morgantown. I wondered about that because what sense did it make to fly? Um, they're both from Florida, right? Yeah. So it's like, why fly them from there to Fort Worth? And then they're there for a couple of days and just go back home. No, they're going to be in Morgantown longer. So 
it sucks you can't be there when your kid is concussed, presumably, um, when he has a broken leg, presumably. Um, and, and you have to wait to see him get off of a plane in Morgantown. Like, that's that's tough, but it's like one of those things you send your kid out to college, I guess. I don't know. And you, you kind of understand that as a, as an athlete, there's going to be some some significant risk involved that you're going to have to deal with. And part of that is that 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 really tense time between when he's in Texas and you're in Florida and you're going to meet in Morgantown. There's probably no way around that. That seems like the best way to manage that. That's the most efficient, most logical way, I would think. Curious, but I like that. Yeah, and it, it, it's wild to me. I mean, I guess obviously this has happened before to every school at, at, at a lot of different levels, um, you know, pros too, that there's a designated person for this to stay and to help out. Like that person knows going in, hey, it's my turn. If someone gets hurt, I'm staying in, you know, I'm staying in Fort Worth. I'm staying in Dallas for a couple extra days. Uh, I better have some extra clothes and they got a plan for that. It's, it's rough, but it's good to know that, you know, they're organized enough to already have that in place and help take care of these kids. Cause I, I was wondering that too. So again, great question from SJJ SWVU. Next question. Also, man, am I going to have to compliment everybody's questions now? So I don't like play favorites with that one. Must have I don't know. Luke Zoolander. Oh, one after five games, who are your picks for? Let's start with most improved player. Mike, who you got? So this one was kind of a, here's a test. So the most obvious answer would be the one that rushes to your head right away. But then you like, you really think about it and you go, okay, who is? And two things that come up with one, the answer that came to my head right away is, is probably the answer I think I'm going to stick with, but also it's, it's hard to comb through and find an answer for this or another answer for this. So like, do they have a bunch of really improved players? Because I think collectively they have players who are better and maybe that's made their, the uh the sum of the parts one of those things like the whole is better because the parts are better it's not like one person has carried him along and that's especially true on defense and offense just it's hard to say they're improved so you look at just one side of the ball there and who is it who personifies it and you could go to any one of the levels and try to find somebody but the one name that came to my head right away and then the name that like once I combed through kind of stood up it's maybe not popular but I think it's right is Michael Lockhart that's giving you like a bona fide like six two three hundred something pound muscle in the middle there and he's controlled things he's been their defensive player in the game and a win he lets the linebackers do stuff when he's on the field their rush defense is better than when he's not there's no way to qualify that but like you can just tell sometimes like 93 isn't chasing a run um it's 54 it's someone like that it's not it's not for Torma mobile's fault it's just that it seems like fewer bad things happen on the ground when lockhart's in there he's also been a good pass rusher and to be frank i did not see this coming for him because guys that are that old and they have to get themselves in shape in time for their second year. I don't know what the track record is for that, but it doesn't seem like it's too optimistic. He has bucked that trend. He's got himself in a much better shape where he can rip off 40-something snaps in a game. He can play series in a row. He can play multiple downs in a row. That's fine, and that's what they needed. So that will be my pick. Um, in front of a couple other players, I'm sure we can mention, but that's the one that jumped out right away, and then he was still there when I went through, and I vetted everything and everybody else. It's the right answer. You're right. Like I don't have I don't have anything anywhere else to go here because I I didn't have somebody pop out. I go through the same kind of process that you described, and no one immediately just jumped out like, "Oh, this is the answer." So then I start going through position by position and or position group by position group. And as I'm going through, I'm like, "Yeah, oh, well, those guys are the guys that were good last year, are good this year. The guys that are great were great." And you know, some some positions like look a little worse this year some you know whatever and then yeah i get the defensive line and i'm like yeah you know Sean martin looks 
like I expected him to look and Eddie V looks like I expected him to look. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Mike Lockhart, I'm hearing about him a lot more this year. And he's a lot more involved this year. And and that seems notable. And I'm with you. I think that's that's kind of the clear answer. Like I don't even know if there's a debate about the most improved player. Um, again, are there players better? Yes, we're going to get to that in a second. But most improved over last year, it's got to be him. My um my second place pick here, it, it's Wyatt Milam, just because he he doesn't come off the field unless he's hurt, and he's just really solid at left tackle. He's I don't want to predict the future for him. I just I just wonder if he's going to be on campus next fall because he's playing that well, and I think that there's there's a a possibility that a guy like that might might think hard about his future. And he just continually gets praised from coaches too. And if you if you take time and you watch just the left tackle, or if you go back and you watch the left tackle, he's not getting help. He doesn't need help. He takes care of his business out there. Um, very infrequently now do you see pressure coming from that left side. And they, again, they don't have to help him on things. Tight ends can go to the right side where they might need more help, or tight ends can focus on just leading in the running game or whatever, and they don't have to worry about him. Just the eyes say that he's been good, and then much more qualified than me, the opinions of coaches and players say that he's been just better and better every week this season, just continues to improve. Second part of this question, who's your team MVP? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Beanie Bishop. We agree again. Okay, this I is a t- I hate it, but we agree again. This is a hard one because again, you you almost disqualify one side of the ball from the conversation. Not that there aren't good players on offense, we just mentioned one of them. And again, you can make a really interesting argument for Zach Frazier here as your team MVP because he has been everything I just said about Milam. He has been that, and probably a little bit more. You consider everything the center has to do, and how much more difficult physically, never mind mentally, that job is. But he was good before. I'm not sure how much improved he is, but or is he the most improved? I'm sure he's better, but stepping back, he's extremely valuable for what they're doing. And that's like one of those guys where if you if you had to cut off like one part of the offense, what would be the worst one? Well, they've already played that at quarterback. They're pretty deep at running back, you know, receivers, whatever. My point is like that's probably the most costly player if they lost somebody on either side of the ball, I think. So maybe that's the most valuable by definition. That would be my second pick. My number one, though, is Bishop because of like the defense has come up such a level. And I think a lot of it is that they are more trustworthy of who is in the back end. And then where does that trust seem most obvious in the secondary? It's a cornerback. And what cornerback in particular? It's the one who's always out there now and is making plays. And that that stat that you rattled off last week, Chris, about how many passes they defended already this year compared to last year. That's not all Bishop. It's a lot of Bishop, but that's his mentality that he has really brought. And you can go back to the preseason and watch this where he says that 
he told players like, fine, be a good cornerback and break up passes or just be there to make tackles with no yards after the catch. Be elite and try to get picks, try to make big plays. And has he made every pick? No, he's made every big play. I don't think so, but I don't th- it's probably pretty close, but he has been really aggressive out there and, and by and large has been what he thought he could be when he left Western Kentucky, you know, before last season. It didn't work out for him in Minnesota, but I think because of that, he's maybe even more motivated, more aggressive, more confident. He's definitely been more effective. And I think you can just do so much more with your defense and you have a secondary that you think is not going to just combust in flames once a drive, a couple times a quarter, a few times a half, right? And is that why they're better up front? Maybe so. It may, again, also be like parts whole, but it's a big part of it. And that just personifies the change on defense is how much better their secondary is. And can it be traced to one person? Well, he is here and he wasn't here before and things have changed. It's more complicated than that, but that's a big part of it, I think. We're in agreement here. And part of this goes back to your uh, mantra of listen to the coaches who they bring up rather than who they're asked about. And they would repeatedly talk about Beanie Bishop and the impact he was having in the summer and into the fall camp and how his attitude was different than everybody else's. And it was all the qualities you're looking for in a cornerback. And and really, it's kind of that like a cascade effect of how good is your best player? And if he's your best player, then your next best player. And it just kind of helps out each different position because he essentially more or less shuts down like an entire half of the field. And if you can shut down that receiver or that that part of the field, that whatever zone of the field that he's in charge of in the, the zone coverage, when they do that, it makes it easier for everybody else. It may, you can game plan everywhere else for the same reasons you mentioned that why Milam's so important. He doesn't need help anymore. Now he can do it all by himself. So now you can do things with the tight end. You can focus your efforts to help elsewhere. And that same goes for Beanie Bishop on the defensive side of the ball. So yeah, pretty clear MVP for me as well. Seven pass breakups, two interceptions. Those are good numbers for like a season for a corner. And he's four games into this and, Again, he made plays. Their most significant moment of the season is that that last possession by Texas Tech. And I understand it it almost went the complete opposite way, but it didn't. And one team made a mistake and and was able to get through it because Texas Tech dropped the pass. But they made a bunch of plays before and after that. And then Bishop obviously had some some big breakups down there to to make sure they got out of there with a win. And, and that's kind of like what you that's really what you brought him here to do is that when things were tough, you could have veteran who can play and be trusted and you're not worried about him too. It just seems like that's everything's fine there with him and his coverage grade right now in PFF is I want to say mid eighties, which is going to be pretty competitive in the entire big 12. And if you would have told West Virginia, Hey, you're getting a guy who's going to be one of the better, you know, cover guys in the, in the big 12. Yeah. Give me that. And I think, I think my numbers are, what are they here? Uh, 14, no, it's probably 14 to 29. So less than half of the time that he's targeted, he gives up a catch. So, it's not even a 50-50 proposition when you throw it his way. He's going to win more often than not right now. Third part. Last one. And maybe this is where we'll finally disagree. Again, from Luke Zoolander, the third part of his question. Biggest impact freshman. This is a hard one to answer because the transfer portal nowadays, you know, it's just that you get so many of these older players to come in because you don't want to or need to or trust playing freshmen. And it's a small conversation for me. I don't know who it would be. 
and I just think like where would the offense be right now without Jaheim White? I wouldn't say he's significantly different, but he's given him some punch here and there. But it's not an emphatic vote for him. It's just that he happens to be the best name on a short list, which isn't wrong. It's nothing wrong with like what they're doing four and one, and like their personnel is by and large responsible for that. But it's not. It's not a Jaheim White award. He's not the reason they're four and one. Just that he probably is a little bit more responsible for the good things that have happened on offense than say Rodney Gallagher or Traylon Ray. And then there's just a few other contributors over there, except that there's probably one on the defensive side I think you're going to get to that in, in two weeks' time, in one month time, that might be the right answer. Right now, there are three true freshmen. Let me confirm that real quick. Let me check Traylon Ray. No, four. Four true freshmen that have played at least 50 snaps so far this season. And we just mentioned all of them. Jaheim White, 52. Traylon Ray, 52. Rodney Gallagher, 81. And then my pick... Not because of the snaps, but Ben Cutter at 83. Um, and that's where I'm going with Cutter. And I think part of it is because even these last two games, even before the injury to Lathan, which is going to obviously kind of thrust him into presumably a starting role, he, he's been asked to be part of this. Like at the Texas Tech game, I know he only played a handful of snaps, but those handful of snaps were early. Like they They went to him early. Like, hey, we need you now. Um, TCU, they were rotating before Lathan got hurt. So this seemed like something that was already in motion of getting Cutter on the field more and and getting guys rest, getting Lathan rest, getting Koba a little bit of rest because they would they would move Lathan over to, to Mike and maybe give Koba like, hey, here's a couple snaps off or something just to give him a little bit of a break. And Cutter was seeing his role improve uh, or increase. And I think his play has improved. And Again, maybe I'm being a little bit influenced by the fact that, yeah, now he's just going to be a starter moving forward. So, like you said, two weeks from now, it's going to be pretty clear that he's the guy. But he's he's had an impact because he's also been heavily involved on special teams. And it's it's exactly what uh, Jeff Coon said would happen. You know, he said he was asked about him back in the fall. And a lot of times you get those answers about freshmen and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you don't know what to believe to be true and probably 50 50 true and not, but with cutter, it was all true. And he was, he was involved in special teams right from the get go. And he's involved at the will linebacker right from the get go and, and has seen his role increase and it will further. Obviously he's, he's pretty fun to watch on kick coverage too. Like he, he screams down the field and gets like, they don't, they don't do wedges anymore, but he makes sure that he's not getting closed off by anybody. And if he doesn't make a play, I don't think he has a bunch of special teams tackles, but it seems like he's always in the neighborhood. And sometimes that job for that guy to go down there is let somebody else get in there behind you. And he seems like he's good at that too. All right, Mike. Um, let me see here. How sustainable is the defense? We've been mighty short on the rotation in some key positions and lost a few key guys. How much longer can we keep playing like this if we want to survive the season intact? That's from Snufflicator. Is this yeah. sustainable? I think this is something we've talked about a lot, but a lot of people keep asking. Performance, absolutely. Personnel, I'm not as convinced. Like you can be good on defense if you're consistent. And that's their thing is that they don't have these valleys they used to have before. They have peaks, but their peaks are not like significantly greater altitude than where they play it most of the time, right? So that was different in the past. Like you could see them be bad and then drop to worse. But now they're kind of like pretty consistent. They've got great, like we mentioned this before, like great rotations and routines for who they're going to play. And then it goes up when they make good plays, but when it doesn't go well, 
they don't get dominated and they don't get picked apart and they don't get stuck in a corner just taking punches. That was a problem they had last year. They couldn't adapt, adjust, replace. Not the problem now. Seen that with some of their personnel switches. Personnel is the issue right now because they're just so thin, the secondary linebacker. And like, if they have another injury, they're, I, I don't know what the word would be, cooked. They're already imperiled, right? Like, if they lose, if they lose like a Lee Koba or a Ben Cutter or an Aubrey Burks for a longer time than maybe we're thinking here, or if like, I don't know, if, if Marcus Floyd gets rolled up and he has to miss two weeks of an ankle, like just normal course of action football injuries, that would be to a huge detriment to them. And then again, same thing a corner. They're playing just two cornerbacks pretty much all the snaps. They're getting Jacoby spells in for like a series a half. And not his fault. They've been three and outs pretty much. Maybe that's why they're, they've been three and outs. He's been very good. I don't know. But they're not really playing Andrew Wilson Lamp. If they lose somebody um, from a, a top role and have to put somebody in who doesn't play very much, if at all, that's trouble. But also, they're backups. Like, if they were to lose, let's just say like Jaido Favors gets hurt now. Well, now who's playing like fourth will if they lose Jacoby Spells? They're going to play Andrew Wilson Lamp. Just things like that. Like their personnel is so thin right now with seven games to go. That would concern me. The performance, I think their program, they got a good plan. They're going to work at it and just be good or at least good enough of that if they're healthy. If they're not healthy, if they get into trouble with injuries, they're going to be, again, pick your own word here, but they're going to be in a bad spot. Starting to remind me of, and I think it was, 2019 maybe was it the first year with neil there or maybe it was before that but it was like it was brutal it was brutal it was their first keith, year. keith yeah it was it was like keith washington got hurt um or and somebody else in the secondary got suspended for the first half of the game against oklahoma because of a late targeting in the second half of the previous game and somebody else was hurt somebody else and all of a sudden you look in West Virginia secondary, and it was a true freshman, true freshman, walk on, walk on, walk on. It was like, oh my goodness, like how are they going to get by with this? And and they didn't. I'm pretty sure that was a 2019 game where they gave up 52 points to Oklahoma and really had no shot because that that secondary was just cooked. And man, it, it does worry me that that could happen again this year. Like Tay Mayo was guarding CD Lamb at Oklahoma because yeah. they had to get somebody in to play. Like they were stuck, like in between a series, whatever. Like, what do we do? What do we do? And all of a sudden, the kid gets in the field for like one snap and it's a touchdown because they're like, you know what? CD Lamb's pretty good. I'm not sure about this Tay Mayo guy. Um, I think it was CD Lamb. I don't know, but I know they went Mayo right away in that game and it was just wasn't there. Yeah, tough spot to toss in a 150 pound true freshman. In that situation, um, Mike, and maybe, maybe I want your thoughts on this too, but I'll hop in real quick as well. But from mid mid blues, I guess is what how you pronounce it. Um, how much will we see an uptick in recruiting? WVU can get to at least eight wins. I don't know. Do you think it's? I think it's always the year after, isn't it, Chris? Like maybe football is a little bit different now because um, I just think that early signing period. If you make a big run and you're hot in November, it's hard to talk people into you at that point because you do all the work beforehand. I think it would be next year and maybe maybe more specifically in the summer. That would be my thing is that like, it's always the year after, which it would eight wins move the needle, stir the drink enough for people to be like, you know what? I want to go visit that camp. Or I do want to go play in this this new, funky, exciting Big 12. I don't know. They're going to have to do a lot of work. But I'll tell you what, it, it creates the possibility to, to start 
and to build those conversations and relationships, which you don't have when you go four and eight. If you're talking traditional high school recruiting, it's always, you know, in plus one kind of thing, like the, the year after of when the success is. And that's why it's so important to have sustained success on the football field. You have to kind of stack a couple years in a row before it truly has an impact in high school recruiting. But does anybody care about high school recruiting right now? Does anybody care anymore? Is that is that the focus of teams anymore? I think it's it's obviously switching more to transfer recruiting and getting guys like that. And that's where I wonder, will this have an impact? Will this have more of an impact for immediate turnover and success for next season? Because say West Virginia goes eight and four. And for those who have checked out our uh, transfer and scholarship tracker that, that we put up last week, that, that kind of gives you a sneak peek of what next year's team looks like. Technically speaking, it was like eight, nine guys, I think, are graduating from this year's team, and, and a handful of them are not current starters. So there is the potential to really kind of, hey, hey, look, you know, you can do something special here and and try to talk some some transfers into coming over. And so if you're a guy who, say, is like an All-American at, let's say, Western Kentucky, since we talked about Beanie Bishop earlier, you're an All-American at Western Kentucky, and West Virginia calls you up and you say, whoa, that team went eight and four and they're returning like 90% of their starters, but they desperately need a cornerback. I'm a good cornerback. They can go there and do something special. That's where I think it could make a difference. And that's why I think maybe it is a little different now. Cause yeah, the high school stuff, like you said, that's in plus one, like you're, you're maybe that makes an impact on the 2025 kids, but then you also have to roll over success into next year to keep that going. But maybe with some transfers, it helps out a little more than before. But sustainability there is a good point, too, because you probably have to string a couple of years of those in a row. And if you see a coach just in general, if you see a coach who is embattled and he loads up on transfers and he gets an eight, nine win season. Well, can he do that again? Do you want to be part of that? If you're a transfer corner, for example, like you mentioned, do you want to be part of that? Or do you think that was a roll of the dice that worked out? And you're not going to get snake eyes two years in a row. That's part of the selling that has to happen by coaches. But again, a lot easier when you had that momentum behind you. Well, Mike, I think that wraps up uh, the podcast portion of this mailbag right now. We're going to, uh, again, a short week, but I'll have the written portion of this out probably Tuesday morning. We get Neil Brown later today, Monday, and we will, I mean, everybody keep an eye out because everything's going to be kind of, Compact it in. Uh, we're not we're not going to shortcut you on anything. You're still getting all the same and more uh, content. It's just going to be packed into four days instead of six. So ready to roll. There's a couple of good questions, too, that you might answer, but I actually haven't written down to try to get into with uh, either players or coaches today, if not in the fresh set. But some of the changes on offense, what they might do, what they might not get, including one in particular that Bryson Harvey figured out. Play action. Surprisingly not good, despite their predilection for the run. They're just not very good at play action. How is that? So why is that? So maybe we can figure that one out. But stay tuned. We'll see. We'll see what the coaches and the players give us today. We'll see what we can cram into a shorter week before a game Thursday night in Houston again. 7 p.m. FS1. Dana Holgerson. That's the guy's name. I couldn't ah, couldn't think of it. I knew it. Knew it would come to me. Right at the end. Better late than never. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza, And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then.